Hi everyone, I'm Pankaj Mishra and you are listening to the Outliers podcast. It's a podcast, a series of conversations with outliers. So welcome to this special episode of Outliers podcast. Uh, this is how Notion works. Over past few months and you know definitely over a couple of years uh, we've been hearing a lot of great things about Notion and uh, you know it's amazing how uh, the users of Notion uh, you know have such great things to say about the product and you know the first conversation we had was with Akshay who who gave us a glimpse of uh, what Notion is and that made me hungrier so I requested to have a series of conversations with everyone a building notion and finally uh, it's amazing to be finally having this conversation with Ivan the founder uh, CEO of notion Ivan welcome to the podcast thank you thank you for having me we will get into uh, you know your your the, the philosophies and the first principles uh, that drive you uh, you know and and that drive notion but before all that Ivan uh, can you give us a, a sense of where you come from? and who you are, and, uh, you know, a little bit about uh, uh, your entrepreneurial journey. Right. Um, I've been working on Notion for almost a decade uh, as a personal thing, starting as a personal thing. I started, uh, I think, last year college, and uh, I, I... I studied cognitive science in college, and uh, but also minoring uh, fine art. And uh, a lot of my friends are uh, artists. I am the only person who know how to code. Uh, I learned how to code when I was a kid, just to try to model video games and you know, uh, learn programming in elementary school. It's kind of useful. And uh, so in, in college, in the last year of college, trying to make web, web pages for all those artists friends who graduate you know, in the same years as I do, and uh, realized, hey, actually, those people are creative people with good design sense. Why can't they just build their own web pages, websites? Then um, from that problem, uh, if you work on that problem long enough, you realize it's not just about web pages. It's about uh, software and computing. So, And at that time, at the last year of college, I was just thinking, oh, how can I create a tool that give more people the software building, computing power that's more than just a document editor or a normal web page builder. So that has been the beginning of Notion and really quickly has been almost a decade. That's like surprised me how long I've been working on this and still very interested in the problem and uh, doesn't see an end to it. Yeah, that's really interesting, Ivan. Now, can you take us through uh, some of the building blocks for Notion uh, or even some of the first principles? Because, you know, you talked about design uh, and of course, you said you, among your friends, you are a designer who can code as well. So can you take us through some of the building blocks of Notion and what were the, you know, really guiding uh, principles? Uh, there are so many. Um, are you thinking more on the product side, more on the design side, engineer side? There's uh... Everything that you mentioned now, Ivan, uh, from product to engineering to design, uh, it would be really good if you could Take us through these journeys, even if it's briefly, and tell us how they all work together to create Notion. Right. Maybe I, it's useful to go chronologically and how, so talking about how Notion come from one, a project, personal project to a company, 
and to a product plus a company today, and maybe what I learned throughout that process. Absolutely. Uh, Absolutely. I would say a big one to start with is definitely looking to the history. Personal computing as a medium has been around you know, half a century. So the software used today, if you really know the history, it's not that fundamental different, fundamentally different from the thing that people envisioned in the six, late, in the, you know, let's say 70s. So it's actually conceptually they are the same. There's no nothing too majorly new about it. People had the internet like thing back then, uh, so very much the the new things we're working on is more likely than not is just the history that you haven't studied. So looking into the history, looking into you know the early generation of computing pioneers like Alan Kay, Douglas Engelbar, if you trace even further back, Vannevar Bush, those like early uh, information system designers. Uh, they thought through a lot of those problems. And uh, for a notion for us, we really much lean on you know, those old papers, the old researches, old research for uh, you know, how humans use tools, how humans use information to solve problems. And uh, that's one. And that was in the very beginning of notion we had it. Like a lot of notion in the early days kind of model based off this uh, systems in Xerox Park called Smalltalk. It's it's in a sense notion that's not too different. Well, at least we try to be. As Smalltalk is a great system. Uh, it's like end user can modify the tool as they use it. And we try to take on that spirit in the modern setting. Wow, um, that's one. Um, but then the other factor, as we work on the product more, uh, work on the project more, we realize it's. I, in living in the idea land, the history is very much gave you a lot of ideas, but idea land is not enough to for people to adopting your product, adopting your solution, adopting your tools. You really have to build a product. So and then you need to introducing a lot of constraints, which are how the contemporary users understand the tool, understand what you're offering in the in the framework that they resonate with, they care about, right? A lot of people wouldn't care about everybody building their own tools. They care about getting their problems solved on the spot. So can you disguise this, the new creation you have into uh, a better version of uh, Evernote or Trello that's something people understand already? That's very much on the product side principle that we slowly picked up. Um, yeah, there are plenty of other ones like that. Um, and later on, I think as a journey for myself and my co-founder, it's the product itself is not enough you have to realize how do you inject a business model into it so uh, it's sustainable and you can build a create a company that a lot more people can participate and solve the problem along with you. So that's when having a business sense becomes really important. You, know, you have to uh, think about distribution. You have to think about no uh, unit economy and how do people pay for you? Like, what's our incentive for people to pay for a product that you're offering? The value created, and uh, yeah, I, I would say those are the two, three different major phases, at least for me personally, to uh, through the journey of building Notion. You know, understand the history and, and and idea space. Understand where the ideas are. Second, it's where where's this product space that people understand and resonate with and uh, 
lastly, and arguably as important, if not more important, the distribution and business space that uh, allow your product to go to everyone on the planet. You know, Ivan, what you're talking about uh, in terms of your own entrepreneurial journey and these transitions, it's, it's fascinating. Uh, you know, a, a, as a creative person, as a, as a designer at heart, I presume, you know, how easy or tough uh, it was for you to make these transitions, especially when, uh, you know, you, you start thinking about sustainability or business model or uh, growing user base. So what what were your biggest learnings as you made these transitions? I wouldn't say there's any one particular biggest learnings. It's uh, the thing that definitely will help with transition. Actually, there's some meta ones, like to be more self-aware, to understand yourself, how you react to a problem, your blind, side, blind spots as you learn through building product, business, or, you know, idea. And... Uh, and we have this thing called feedback as a gift, as a company value. One of the company value and notions, like um, be self-aware, be humble with other people's feedback or feedback from the market, feedback from your customers, and also be uh, thoughtful, giving other and and active, giving each other feedback, so we can keep learning from this process. So I would say the meta principle here is uh, you got to learn from this. Like the only being a humble and self-aware person allow you to, you know, looking at problem from new perspective and, uh, you know, picking up new angle, new ideas that uh, people try might try 20 years ago, but it's, maybe it's worth time to try it again today. You know, I would say uh, that's the meta principle here. One of the other things I remember, Ivan, uh, about Notion, I think it was a year or a year and a half ago on Twitter, there were a bunch of people talking about how you know it is so difficult to uh, for a VC uh, to actually invest in Notion, and there was so much of interest. From, from your point of view, uh, how did you approach funding, uh, and uh, what decided how much uh, you would raise? Uh, because a lot of hot startups, you know, they they tend to raise a lot of money too soon. How did you approach this? I wouldn't say we have a philosophy coming into it. A lot of it's kind of lucky in a way that initial notion 1.0 and 2.0s are built by a very small group of people. Then the, uh, the, with the burn rate is naturally very low and then product, people seem to like the product. Therefore, we got a profitability really soon. Then, uh, and that just, once you become profitable, you sort of on the other side, which is you don't need venture capital as a default. So we were lucky because of that. So there's a leverage and there is uh, less of a need for that. Um, but overall, actually internally, we have another, it's not a value, but it's a saying that everybody uses in the company called revenue is a resource. Um, mm -hmm. Money, it's not the goal for the company. Money is a resource that allow us to do what we want to do, which is building a tool that give everyone more tool and computing power and push this tool for everyone on the planet. So once that's the perspective for the company, then think about, okay, if we already have enough resource coming from our customers uh, and that we can't even spend that, having more, raising more capital from investors, what does that really mean for us? Is it is just is it for our ego? Is it for uh, external social 
signifying something or you know fundamentally it doesn't move much needle having more cash in the bank without us knowing how to deploy the existing cash we have so so that's pretty much what it is it's, there's no hard philosophy behind it it's just you know more money wouldn't help as much and of course there's extra uh, venture capital angel investors there are extra help besides just you know cash uh at least on the cash front there wasn't as much a need so yeah that's the that's the truth for this the other thing for a new product or a startup uh, to launch or or grow uh, people talk about this whole thing about product market fit now how was that for you uh, when you were you know building notion because again uh, in this space there are products and productivity or i don't know how you describe it it would be good to hear from you uh, it, it's like a holy grail uh, you know so many products keep coming in this space so how did you approach this this subject of product market fit if at all i <laughs> i think it's all luck too and we don't have like uh, we don't have a strong philosophy how to engineer it a product market fit and uh Constant iteration, listen to your customers definitely help. Like, for example, I I did all the uh, support tickets for the first couple of years. And uh, every incoming uh, support request, it's not just an ask to how to solve their problem in the very much Comcast way, but it's a feedback for the product, feedback for us as a business. And really listen to this. And, but also have your, your own stance, like what to listen, what not to listen. And uh, then just continues iterating that right go back to our first point of feedback is a gift it's that's that that's that part of it uh whether it's the overall philosophy to me it's still very much art than a science um because you need to balance so many constraints like product market and not just product market fit product market business fit and uh and balancing those for us, at least, it's not like some kind of equation or a spreadsheet. It's very much just what feels right. And uh, and it's, it's useful that we use the product ourselves every day. So entire notions running on Notion. And uh, we tend to be our own harsh, most harsh critics. So we continuously improving the product and lucky that a lot of people are like us in the world. Uh, so if some we make something useful for ourselves, uh, seems to be useful for other as well. So, unfortunately, I have no concrete answer here. I just... Well, what you said actually makes sense, uh, at least to me. And it's very simply put. Uh, the other thing, Ivan, is about uh, putting a team together or hiring people who would do the job. Can you talk a little bit about, you know, building the early team or growing it later, you know, how, how do you hire and who do you hire and why? Uh, are there some thoughts around those areas uh, across design, uh, product, technology? How do you hire and, and who do you hire and why? We do have some strong opinions here. Um, like one word with one principle and word we always use internally is holistic. So we talk about even earlier question, we talk about how to have product fit, market fit and business fit. You essentially need to balance several uh, domains. You need to make this decision trade-off. It's always trade-off all the way, always like trade-off all the way down. So you need to make trade-off between those domains. And the best way 
the best and most unique and valuable solution tend to make the trade-off across multiple domains. I'll give you one example. We hire a designer who can code. We hire a designer who can be front-end engineering in other companies. We do that um, because, first, they're very efficient, right? They're, one person can do two people's job. But even more importantly, this one person half can balance the trade-off among the engineer domain and the design domain. So if something's really hard to engineer, this person go back to the design side and tweak a little bit and vice versa. So uh, so hiring very holistic, multifaceted people, the Renaissance men, Renaissance ladies are uh, one principle we hold very highly in, in terms of our hiring process. And that help us to uh, hire fewer people and therefore less communication overload Therefore, less burn rate too, which helps with the profitability from the equation again. Uh, uh, but the downside of that trade-off, of this trade-off, is it's really hard to hire. It's not that many people are uh, with the meter talent bar. And uh, so it's painful, but at the same time, uh, it's what we believe in and we are we're keep doing this. The other question that a lot of product builders or you know, entrepreneurs struggle to answer sometime is when you're building it out, what features to add or build and which ones uh, to not pursue? Because uh, a lot of times customers can want uh, this feature and that feature or, and, and there are sometimes pressures in, in that sense. So how do you make decisions about what new features to build or not? This is a really hard problem. Uh, I, w- I wouldn't say we have a good answer to it. Uh, Especially for a product like a notion, the surface area is, in, in, is essentially the entire, most of the productivity software, or most of the SaaS software. So uh, it's really hard to balance. Uh, there's some tech, tactic things we use. For example, every inbounding tweets or support messages, we tag them. We have a fairly holistic tagging database of anything that people can ask for. And... Uh, then every day we tally like, oh, today or this week or this month, um, people ask for this. And uh, we use that as the one of the f- uh, feedbacks, you know, for the product planning process. Then again, so we have what market wants, what people want telling us. And so when the planning process, we see, okay, where are where do we want to take the product to? What's our mission, vision, and what do we believe in strongly? And see, can we bridge those things together? And again, that's become our process again. It's, there's no, there's no concrete uh, step-by-step solutions there again, unfortunately. Well, like all the tricky things in the world, right? <laughs> yeah, that's very true. If we can do that with a spreadsheet, probably we should just uh, go home and retire. And uh... <laughs> <laughs> yeah, but but it's kind of. Uh you know, challenges like these or tough questions like these that keep us excited on the job, right? Yeah, those are the, like human are still uniquely capable of solving those very multifaceted art problems rather than a optimization, a spreadsheet type of problem, right? As, uh, and it feels really good when your your intuition tells you something, you you, you bet on it, then it turns out the market wants it. And uh that's like amazing feeling. Like, you know, it's a, uh, it's fun. The other thing I notice about Notion, or at least when I speak to a lot of people, uh, clearly uh, a lot of non-programmers 
uh, are busy building their own versions of Notion or, you know, their own stuff with Notion. Now, how do you keep a, a product like Notion simple? Because, you know, you come, I come to think about it, that it it's solving uh, many big problems. So it can be very overwhelming at times. So how do you ensure that it stays simple for a user? It's your... <sighs> It's, it's not simple enough right now. We actually want to go through at least multiple cycles to make uh, simpler. Uh, initially, we have the word called keep it dumb. Like it has to be really dumb. Not in a, in a very negative sense, but like if you are have five beers or five is too many, two beers, and you still can make sense of everything and it has to be like that. Uh, I think putting, be okay to be orthodox. It's a key. Be okay to be, not innovative that's like you can only innovate in certain areas like if it's too many there's too overwhelming and uh people naturally don't want to learn new things that's something we sort of internally have a stance on so if they can only learn a couple of things about your product what are those things and put the most roi for those people in, on those two things and uh and onboard them to those things. We are not doing a good job there. So I'm more talking than actually doing those. But uh, yeah, unfortunately, that's another thing of more of our side rather than the science side of things that uh, we just need to practice more. Right? It's interesting, Ivan, you say that more. I mean, this is the second time, right? It's more arts than science. Uh, we were discussing, uh, you know, designers who can code and, and you yourselves <laughs> said that you know, you are a designer who can code. Uh, it, it's not either or, right? Like when you are building something new in in this age, uh, you think we are living in the times when design uh, or, or sorry, art trumps science in that sense? No, this is a very, uh, this question is kind of hard to answer. Um, building company, building product is Building internet-enabled businesses or products is still a fairly new domain for for, uh, for humans, and uh, maybe once this becomes, uh, we do it for another fifty years, and like even MBA, it's a fairly newish like uh, school's way to thinking about management, right? Uh, uh, maybe once we do another fifty or hundred years, then it becomes more like oh, there will be MBA of of creating product or creating startups or creating internet enabled business. Uh, we're just early in that domain. So it's not been commoditized yet. Uh, it's still very much in the art studio way of doing things. Uh, on a more uh, final note, I think uh, we are short on time as well uh, for you is uh, there's a lot of focus on AI uh, and what it can do or what it cannot do. So how much of, this man versus machine or AI versus human, uh, you know, plays, uh, in, you know, at Notion. Uh, can you give a sense of, of, of that? Where does it start and where does it end for you? This is an interesting question. I think about from time to time too. Um, Notion come from, if you look at the people, or even Smalltalk, the system, Xerox Park, the system we talk about, Xerox Parts, there are a lot of people back in the 70s, Xerox Park come from this group, uh, August Engelbar's group, as, um, called Stanford SRI, Stanford Research Institute. 
Yes. Uh, and that's very much on the HCI. Those are the pioneers of HCI people. Right? HCI stands for human computer interaction. It's in a sense, it's the opposite of AI, machine uh, intelligence. So HCI talk about how can we create better tools that augmenting human versus the AI part, think about how can we uh, make machines smart enough to replace a lot of what human does. So there's no right or wrong on either side. They're just sitting on different two ends of the one spectrum. And I would say spiritually notion come a lot more from the human and tool side, HCI side, not the AI side. But as you, as you make the tool more self-aware of the information, machine uh, can do more for you, right? Uh, in a sense, a database with sort and filter the human doesn't have to go in there to go through every page to see is this does this satisfy the filter or sort the machine does that for you it's in a sense a very dumb version of ai so it's not a binary thing again it's very much of the spectrum then um, and it doesn't mean that human tools shouldn't take more advantage of what machine is capable of doing um so at least for notion we try to the spirit, uh, the spirit root of the company is more on the HCI human and tool side, but we want to embrace the AI part too. We just haven't done a good enough job to making a tool better enough. And uh, maybe in a couple of years, we all have more AI related features or um, technology that improve the tools. But at the moment, it's still very much on the tool side, not the AI side. Yeah, I didn't answer your question, but just some angle to think about this, right? No, a lot of these are not just questions. It's like just having a conversation to, mm-hmm. to kind of think deeper. So thank you for that. Uh, finally, can you talk a, a bit about the vision for Notion or is there a science fiction view uh, of where Notion could actually go? So the intention of the company is how can we like I talked about earlier, we've been using this computing software medium for half a century, right? but we're still largely, for, for most of the people in the world, largely using like a fancy typewriter and a fancy, uh, you know, it's like there, people cannot fundamentally create and modify the tools, the software they use every day. So how can I create maybe starting as a productivity tool and starting as a document tool like Notion, but allows more people to modify and create or have the very best tool to solve their problem at hand. And from there, the tools that amplify them, bring the best of a human, you know, and that's fundamentally what we're interested in. So imagine one product that you can mold into any tools you like, you can use for documenting, you can use for all the SaaS use cases, and that's the one more concrete way to think about it. Right? So and push this product and to distribute this product to around the world for everyone to use a computer or should use it. And that's the distribution business part of challenge, which we want to work on as well. So uh, yeah, there are all challenges, but uh, we have many more decades to work on this. You know? No, great uh, insights, Ivan. And, and thank you for helping us understand what Notion is and what Notion can be. Uh, all the best with uh, building it out. And thanks for your time again. Thank you for having me. Thank you.